Ladies and gentlemen, good day and welcome to the ESPN Sunday Night Baseball Media Conference Call. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Ben Cafardo. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Abby. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the ESPN Sunday Night Baseball and season opening media conference call for Thursday, July 16th, 2020. How strange does that sound that we're talking about the start of the season on July 16th? Uh, obviously, since we last spoke to many of you, uh, the world's changed quite dramatically. We hope everyone is healthy and safe given the circumstances uh, we're all living through. And on behalf of ESPN, we appreciate your interest and your time today. On today's call, we have Sunday Night Baseball play-by-play voice Matt Veskersian, analyst and World Series champion Alex Rodriguez, and ESPN Senior Vice President of Production and Remote Events Mark Gross. Matt and Alex are both entering their third season of Sunday Night Baseball, a franchise that began 30 years ago in 1990. The 2020 campaign will mark the 31st season of the franchise. I should note that while not on today's call, Buster only rounds out the team as reporter, and he's entering his 10th season on Sunday Night Baseball. Matt and Alex were last together calling an ESPN spring training game in Florida in early March, which feels like ages ago now, but I know they're excited to get the season underway. Today, we will also issue a press release on our season opening coverage which will focus on our commentator assignments and our, pro- our production approach, rather, to start the season. Alex, Matt, and Buster are going to call three national games in four days to start the season. They'll call the Thursday, July 23rd opening night game between the New York Yankees and the World Series champion Washington Nationals. They'll return Friday, July 24th to call the Milwaukee Brewers at Chicago Cubs game And finally, they'll be on the call for the second half of our special Sunday night baseball doubleheader on July 26th as the Los Angeles Dodgers host the San Francisco Giants as they renew their historic rivalry. I know there's been a lot of curiosity and we've received inquiries about how we plan to document and cover these national games. So I'm going to turn it over to Mark Gross uh, to discuss what we feel, given the circumstances, is an innovative, flexible approach with a focus on safety and health for all involved. Go ahead, Mark. Thanks, Ben, and thanks, everybody, for uh, for calling in. And uh, I, I think off the top, I mean, we're excited. You know, we're excited to get the season started. Um, you know, we've, we've had Major League Baseball on ESPN, as you heard Ben say, for, for a long time. And uh, we're just excited to get going, and we feel really good about kind of the system we have in place, the plan we have in place, and feel also great about the schedule uh, coming out of the gate with seven games over the course of uh, the first, whatever, starting next Thursday through uh, next Sunday. Um, The basics of how this is going to work for Sunday night is Matt and Alex will both call the games from uh, a studio in Bristol. So you will see them on camera periodically, like you would see them periodically on camera from from a booth. We will, and I'll try to keep this simple, we will be taking, for Sunday Night Baseball, we will be taking multiple camera feeds uh, from the stadium. So for Thursday night's case, 
uh, from Washington and then from Los Angeles. We will bring all of those cameras into a control room in Bristol on campus, and we will produce and direct the game. Jeff Define will produce, and Jeff Evers will direct the game utilizing those cameras coming into the control room in Bristol. Um, all of the graphics will come from Bristol. K-Zone will come from Bristol. Replays will come from Bristol. And obviously, like I said, Matt and Alex will be in Bristol. At this point, it looks like Buster will be at the game in Washington. He will drive to the game. Uh, and we're still kind of sorting out, you know, what that means and kind of what that looks like. Uh, since these are national games on July 23rd, Dodgers Giants follows Yankees Nationals, we will repeat that with Carl Ravitch, Eduardo Perez, and I believe Tim Kirchin will do the same thing um, for that Dodgers-Giants game. The next day, July 24th, we have three non-exclusive games where they coexist in the local markets. And the way those games work, like on weeknights, and those games, those three games on July 24th, the home team RSN will, will essentially produce a clean feed. We will augment it with a couple cameras. Still have K-Zone, et cetera, and the bells and whistles. And we will call those games from Bristol. So Carl would be in Bristol or John Shambi would be in Bristol. And the analysts would be at home. So it's a little bit of a variation on how we do KBO, uh, the Korean baseball games where everybody's home. So play-by-play people this season in Bristol, uh, analysts during the week uh, at home, and on Sundays, Matt in Bristol, Alex in Bristol, Buster either at the game, Bristol, home, still working through uh, – Still working through what that's going to look like. Uh, but those are the basics. Um, the other area that I'll just touch on and then I'll get out of the way, audio, which is a seemingly a popular topic. Uh, right now, it looks like all of the stadiums will have all the crowd noise, will have their organist, uh, potentially their PA announcer, etc. So we will we welcome that, honestly, and what we've learned on the KBO is that a little bit of crowd noise um, certainly goes a long way when it comes to Major League Baseball or when it comes to KBO and I think when it comes to Major League Baseball games. So we're not looking to fool anybody. We realize there's no fans there, but by having a little crowd max sound uh, below the announcers uh, just seems to seems to make it work and um, doesn't sound quite so hollow uh, when we're doing the games. So we look forward to it. We think it's the, the you know, the right call for Major League Baseball and the teams. And uh, we certainly will take part of it, take part in it. So you hear, you know, what is taking place at the stadium, just like you normally would if there were fans there. That's what I have. Uh, ben, I'll, get out of the way and entertain any questions later if, if there are any. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. 
I wanted to also note there will be a transcript and replay of today's call available later this afternoon, and it will be issued uh, to everyone on this call. It will also be posted on our media site at ESPNPressroom.com. With that, let's open it up to questions for Alex, Matt, and Mark. Uh, we'll do our best to get to as many of you as possible before we have to conclude. Uh, let's start with Bob Nightingale at USA Today, followed by Ron Blum at the Associated Press. Bob. Yes, for uh, Alex and Matt, how, how strange will this be, broadcasting the games from Bristol Rhythm being, you know, talking to managers before the games and players before the games at the cage and missing that interaction? Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, uh, thanks, Bob. Um, it's certainly look. I think there'll be some some great, you know, cons. There'll be some good pros too. I think from a preparation point of view, being in Bristol, being in the same building with Jeff, um, kind of having home field advantage. I never thought I would call Bristol home field advantage, but here we go, 2020. Um, as far as like the thing I'm gonna miss the most is just kind of chit chatting with the players, kind of have some of the off the line. Uh, off-the-record conversations about kind of what's going on with their health, what's going on with um, in their lives, and and all of that is kind of kind of a kinetic tissue to uh, to performance or what's going on. Some things, 90% of that stuff you, you don't use on the air, but it kind of gives you color and it helps you round up uh, the telecast um, as you're well informed. Yeah, I agree with uh, everything Alex said, Bob. I would also add this. I'm not sure if this on this day, what would be weirder, calling a game from a studio or calling a game from a completely empty ballpark? Because I know a lot of uh, regional guys who have been calling the inter-squad scrimmages uh, for their rights holders, and uh, each of them have said the same thing, that it's just so strange to call a game with nobody there. And I think the impulse, you'd have to fight that impulse that it doesn't matter as much if you were at the ballpark. We're in a studio. We're removed from the strangeness of the atmosphere. We have our own strangeness to deal with being in a completely different location. Um, but for for any of us who've worked off of a world feed before, you just have to adapt and um I, I, you know, to echo what Mark said earlier, I'm, I'm really kind of looking forward to seeing how this goes. I, I can't wait to get going next week. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Let's go to Ron Blum with the Associated Press, followed by Richard Deitch with The Athletic. Ron. Yeah, for Alex, what at this point intrigues you about uh, trying to purchase the Mets? And uh, would it be viable without a share of SNY? And is there any worry that uh, club revenues are going to be uh, unreasonably depressed because of the pandemic for the next few years? Um, Ron, thanks for the question. Obviously, I have limitations on what I can talk about the Mets. Uh, I could answer the last part of your question which I think uh, the challenges in baseball, I think, will be universe, universal, right? Not only with baseball, with all of sports, and a lot of businesses are being disrupted all, all, all over the place. But I do think that with a crisis comes an opportunity, and I think the opportunity for us in the game of baseball is to kind of lean in the, to the forward 
thinking that other leagues have adapted quicker than us. Uh, I think this gives an opportunity in 60 games with a sprint, not a marathon, that every game counts, uh, I guess, around 2.5. Uh, and uh, I think with that, whether that's, you know, full access to more clubhouses, obviously, you know, making sure that everyone's healthy, uh, batting cages, uh, you know, full access to batting practice and in-game. It's funny, we, we were watching MLB Network. We were watching Matty um, uh, yesterday with Harold and uh, and Rip. Uh, that's where my life has gone to now. I watch Major League Baseball nine hours a day. <laughs> and uh, you had Christian Yelich on, and he had a few strikeouts or whatever, but my daughters were sitting kind of watching, and I said, oh, my God, that, that guy's really cool. And now they both follow him on social media. So, again, uh, I heard Rifkin say, well, he struck out. He won't do it again. I think we're missing the point. I mean, entertainment, there's a business of entertainment. It's not just baseball or sports. And I think the more we broaden our breath, uh, the more we're going to take this game in revenues from 10 to 15 to 20 billion. And we're going to do it by collaborating and everybody being on the same page and thinking big picture. So. Are you worried at all about the prospect of a walkout and a lengthy work stoppage in 22, that if you get involved in the management side, there is a lot of downside risk? I was um, – look, downside downside protection is always the most important part of investing in, in anything. Uh, what I will tell you, Ron, is that I was there for 1994 – uh, when we walked away, I believe it was August 12th, uh, we were in Oakland. I was a young lad, 18 years old or so. Uh, Griffey, I think, hit his 40th home run that day. But understanding that the leverage of the players in 1994 was wholly different than today. Uh, today, we, then, we had a stranglehold on professional sports. Baseball was one. Um, today, uh, the NBA has become an international conglomerate. NFL is a juggernaut. Uh, back then, there was no Netflix, there was no Snapchat, there was no Disney+, Plus, ESPN+, Plus, and everything between to attract their attention. So today, we have to really work collaborative with the players and the owners to say, how do we, how do we compete together to become number one? The only way it's going to happen is if they get to the table and say, the number one goal is let's get from 10 to $15 billion dollars and maybe we split the economics, you know, evenly. But that's the type of conversation um, instead of, you know, fighting and fighting against each other because there's too much competition out there right now. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go to Richard Deitch with The Athletic, followed by Jared Diamond with The Wall Street Journal. Richard. Thanks, Ben. Uh, this question is for Mark Rose. Uh, Alex, uh, you're, certainly willing, uh, you're certainly welcome to um, – uh, comment on this if you wish, because it doesn't bother you. Um, Mark, I, I wanted to know if um, if you had conversations either with Alex or other ESPN executives about Alex calling Met games, and was there any discussion to not assign Alex any Met games, given that given that he is um, at the moment interested in being part of the ownership of that team? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, we have talked about it, and, you know, right now we're getting out of the gate with whatever that first – I'm trying to blank on the date, July 26th, the first Sunday night game 
uh, Chipper Jones of, you know, we have Braves-Mets. Chipper Jones will do the Braves-Mets game, and Alex and Matt will do the Dodgers-Giants game. So just as a quick follow-up there, Mark, would it be your plan or intention not to have Alex do any Met games this season? Yeah, I think we'll deal with it case by case. But, I mean, I think, you know, the way we're getting out of the gate, I mean, right now, honestly, uh, that's the only Mets game on the Sunday night schedule as it stands now unless something were to change. But right now, I think we would we would certainly shy away from having Alex do a Mets game just so we don't put him in a bad position, uh, put the Mets in a bad position, but certainly don't want to put he, Alex, or Matt in a difficult position uh, given, you know, what's going on. Appreciate that, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Let's go to Jared Diamond with the Wall Street Journal, uh, followed by Brian Steinberg with Variety. Hey, actually, Richard just asked my question, so you could you could move on. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Jared. Let's go to Brian Steinberg with Variety, uh, followed by Melissa Block with NPR. Thanks a lot, guys. I was going to follow more on, on the crowd noises. Can you be, maybe elaborate a little more about what – What's appropriate, what's not appropriate, and what uh, you think fans, you know, do want? Or maybe, and what, to what level can they, you know, uh, I guess, what, what, what are some of the boundaries of, of what you should and shouldn't put on during uh, this kind of situation? Well, Ben, do you want me to go? Or? Sure, yeah, you want to take that one? Uh, I'm, uh, I, you know, I think it's, it has to do with, you know, the level of the audio. So, I don't think it can be, it, it, and I don't think it will be. It won't be overpowering in these stadiums, you know, with the call it the natural crowd noise. But I think it'll be just mm-hmm. enough. So when you're, you know, clicking around to different games or different shows on TV, it doesn't sound like a hollow, uh, big forty, fifty thousand seat baseball stadium. That it, that it just rounds out um, the coverage. And it's just part of the overall mix between the announcers, if the stadium has uh, the the organist, stadium may have a PA announcer, may have some of the different audio chimes, you know, charge and, you know, whatever else it might have. So I think it just rounds it out instead of it being um, hollow. And I think that's what we've learned with, uh, with KBO is when we haven't had, due to some feed issues, when we haven't had the crowd audio, it sounds really hollow. Uh, you, you bring in, you sneak in just enough crowd audio for baseball, for the baseball games, and it's much less hollow. And, uh, you know, it's just – it feels a little it, – it's more authentic than I thought it would be, and I think the initial fear is it would not be authentic. But, uh, but it's worked out well, and I think, again, it's just – makes for a better viewing experience. Hey, I, I'd like to jump in on that one, too. It's it's Matt, Vasquez, and Brian. I think I've expressed this uh, on a number of different platforms. Uh, what, what my fear was uh, is that whatever crowd noise that was going to be supplied, either by the broadcast or by the host facility, was going to obscure the opportunity we have 
to get some really transparent, authentic sound off the field, the likes of which we've never before gotten because it's going to be crystal clear. We're going to be able to hear middle infielders talking to each other. We're going to be able to hear guys on the bench um, as that extra coach, if you will, when a guy's about to break on a stolen base attempt. And in, in my conversations with Mark and with, with Phil Orleans, our coordinating producer, and with Jeff Dupine, our producer, the, the audio sweet spot that they found in their KBO experiments uh, sounds like it's the perfect balance to still allow us to capture some of that uh, and still make the viewing experience feel right at home. Uh, so the audio part of this, and, and Mark touched on it earlier, is getting a lot of conversation as well as should. That's one of the things that I just absolutely can't wait for. I can't wait to, to hear what we hear. Uh, nobody involved in broadcasting baseball wants for compromised strategy. We're not looking to pry into the playbook, so to speak. But we do want to hear things that maybe we wouldn't have heard ordinarily. And, and I, I'm, I'm looking for the positives in this weird year of ours, and that for me is one of them. Thank you, Brian. Let's go to Melissa Block with NPR, uh, followed by Anthony DeComo with MLB.com. Melissa. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Yeah, hi. Thanks, Ben. And following up on the question just now, probably from Mark and maybe from Matt as well, what has Major League Baseball told you about specifically what kinds of sounds they're supplying? Are they just beds? Are there going to be individual cheers and chants for teams? Are they unique to each team? and the stadium, what's your understanding there? The understanding right now is that, that the individual stadiums would have at least the, call it the crowd noise. Beyond that, I just, I don't know specifics. Um, but I sort I know that, I know one team that, that I've spoken to, you know, they're going to have the organist, they're going to have the PA announcer, um, so on and so forth, but I don't know about you know, if that's every team, uh, but I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a good audio experience uh, from, you know, from everything we're, we're being told. So it's, you're not yeah, Melissa, you're in terms of the crowd, crowd. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to add, it's Matt. I, I was just going to add, it's okay. my understanding as well that the clubs do have a bit of license on this. And I know that, uh, the Brewers a couple of nights ago in their experimentation, and they were kind of running a full palette of audio effects over their scoreboard system during one of their inner squad scrimmages. Um, they were treating players to to boo sounds as well. Uh, they were experimenting they were, with okay. what it would. Yeah, so it's not it's not just going to be uh, you know win one for the Gipper type stuff. I think they're experimenting with a lot of different things. <laughs> Any sense of whether like the tomahawk? Chop chant is going to be heard um, on these broadcasts? I don't know. I don't have a sense for that. Uh, I know the last thing the Braves said was that they are kind of reviewing that part of their fan experience. So I'm not sure if mm. that means it's going to appear or not. So it sounds like it's up to each individual club, correct? That's my understanding, yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Let's go to Anthony DiComo with MLB.com, followed by Joe Reedy with the Associated Press. 
Oh, my question was already asked. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. Let's go to Joe Reedy with AP, followed by Tim Britton with The Athletic. Hey, Alex, as far as the um, crowd noise and everything that, that, that the teams are uh, using, if you were a player, would you would you welcome that or, or a little bit of buzz noise in the background instead of it being completely quiet? So, that, I mean, I know Joe Madden said that his fear was uh, hearing from the dugout the announcers calling the games or – or strategy and stuff being uh, picked up by Mike's during games? You know, my, I'll have conflicting answers here because as a player, I would want some type of sound. Um, it's just kind of the white noise that as a player, you know, playing for almost 25 years, you just get used to. Uh, as a fan, I'm going to echo uh, what Matt said. And I think the sounds of the game of baseball are so unique, are so cool, have never really been heard. I mean, I, I've always thought that, uh, you know, Major League Baseball hard knocks would be so enticing uh, because it's so reflective of what happens in our everyday life. It's not once a week, it's seven days a week. And from a fan perspective, I, I'd love to hear uh, the great sounds of, you know, remember Nolan Ryan was a grunter, but so is Justin Verlander, uh, you know, Garrett Cole, the, the popping of the mid. I mean, we're going to have an opening day where both guys are going to be rushing it up there about 100 miles an hour, and you only hear that sound in Arizona or in Florida in February March uh, in the early mornings or in the backfields, you know, the crack of the wood, you know, there's so much trash talking that goes in those dugouts. I mean, if you actually lower the volume and hear the players, I mean, there could be fights every day, but you can't fight because of social distancing. So uh, all of it in between, even having coaches telling you, you know, get off, get off, or, you know, daylight plates, plays, I, I think this could be a really big opportunity to hear the players. And, again, the more we can reveal the players and what kind of people they are and what kind of, you hear the voice, you, you may get intrigued to, to learn more about them. And then just as a follow-up, for a 60-game season, do you treat it like it is August 1st in a, in a pennant race and there's a, there's really every game means something? Yeah, I think you treat it with uh, a regular season. There's 60 games left. You're tied for first place and, and you're ready to go. Um and every game is important. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, if, if, if you're off to a, you know, a six, you know, six and 10 start in a long season, it may not mean anything, but in a short season, uh, you got to be careful not to, you know, dig, dig too much of a hole. Okay. Thanks. Thank you, Joe. Let's go to Tim Britton with the athletic followed by Kyle Fredrickson with the Denver post. Yeah, this is a question for Alex. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, this, this is a time of maybe heightened tension between ownership and the players' union after all we went through the last couple months. And as someone who's actively looking to get into ownership, do you feel like you can still comment kind of genuinely about that, that tension as a, a, a national analyst uh, while you're trying to become potentially an owner? I heard the last part. Can you just, the, the very first part of your question I missed. 
this is a time of maybe increased tension between ownership and the players' union, just given what we've been through with the negotiations over the last couple of months. So I'm wondering if you if you feel like you can comment genuinely on on that dynamic, even as you're trying to maybe join one of those groups as an owner. Yeah, I, I think I can because you know my goal as as a fan first is to grow the game and make it more popular. I mean, one thing that people forget is we had 13 million young kids and girls play baseball and softball just four years ago. Today is up to 16 million, um, and that's better than baseball. I mean, football and basketball. So the point of that is, it is still America's sport. We we just have to be able to capture teenagers and keep them captive um and so my goal is the same goal as, as mark or ben or, or matt or busters we want to grow the game we want to be a uh, spokesman for the game of baseball and and again the conversation should be more about you know growing the pie not which percentage of a smaller pie am i going to take i think it's the wrong fight and we're putting the energy in the wrong places thank you Thank you. Let's go to Kyle Fredrickson with the Denver Post, uh, followed by Anthony Krupe with Sportico. Kyle. Thanks, guys. A question for Matt and Alex. Uh, most analysts project that the Rockies will finish in the bottom half of their division, but in a 60-game season, do you see Colorado as one of those teams now with maybe a better opportunity for a surprise run to playoffs, and what must happen uh, for the Rockies to do it? Kyle, I'll take that. It's Matt, um, I am uh, about as big a Buddy Black fan as there is among anybody on the planet, and I have the utmost faith in his kind of style and his leadership. Uh, I also think that to the, the crux of your question, it, yes, um, the Rockies are a live dog, as they would say on a poker table, um, and in fact. Every team that maybe found themselves in the gray entering spring training part one, and I'd put the Rockies in that category, they're not complete rebuild the way, say, the Marlins or the Tigers would be classified, but they were were not viewed as a slam dunk for the postseason either, certainly not contending with the seven-time champs, the Dodgers. So teams like Colorado, San Diego, Cincinnati, uh, the Indians in the American League, like we could, we could probably identify a good handful of them with the Rockies at the top of the list. The 60 game schedule, as Alex said perfectly a moment ago, you are tied for first place on August 1st with 60 to go. What needs to happen there? Um, I think it's, it's pretty clear to, for a lot of people that, that watch a lot of baseball that uh, the pitching component is what's failed the Rockies the past couple of years, which uh, a lot of people thought that they had taken a step forward in that department. Um, and then there were some rather mysterious regressions on the roster. Uh, I think if they pitch uh, getting in and out of Denver, the climate adjustment, the altitude adjustment is their biggest challenge always. Uh, but if they pitch and they can catch fire, maybe the way they did at the end of the 2007 season, I don't know that they're going to win 20 out of 22 again. But, yeah, why not? The Rockies are a live dog for me. Maddie, let me just add something to that. Um, I agreed up with everything Maddie said. The other part is that 
the Rockies went, you know, 31 and 29 through the first 60 games last year. They still have Arenado, Blackman, and Trevor Story. And the thing to think about as a player, I always found it incredibly challenging, especially in the middle of the hot summer, uh, to go there as a visitor. So starting the time you're starting now, uh, I think they have a unique opportunity to even improve on that record from last year. So they, they could be very dangerous. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Kyle. Let's go to Anthony Krupe with Portico, uh, followed by Pete Doherty with the Albany Times Union. Uh, hi, guys. This is from Mark. Um, I'm not sure if this is a uh, stadium-by-stadium call or if this is ESPN's call, but I was curious as to uh, whether there, you were going to go forward with the idea of putting uh, virtual advertising in some of the empty seats and the outfield. As we sit here today, there there is plans to to have some virtual advertising, not necessarily in the seats or you know, but I would say at this point it's comparable to what we've uh, what we've done regularly on a Sunday night game. Okay. Can you give a little more guidance about that? That's it's a little vague. Still yeah, still working through it. Just still okay. work still working through the, the mechanics of how it would work. All right, let, let me throw in a bonus one then. Uh are you okay. going to expand the satellite delay? Uh just in case like you know Alex was saying you might get some trash talk, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, is there going to be more of a, a, a delay with the feed uh, just to make sure the, the audio is clean? The honest answer is don't know yet. Again, still on that one, still working through it. Because, again, a lot of these things are, are all new and fluid. So what we decide one day seemingly changes the next. Um, so I'm not trying to avoid the answer, but uh, – because it's a good question, we're, we just we're, we don't have a firm answer yet. So I don't want to tell you something and then something else happens on Thursday. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Thank you both. Uh, let's go to Pete Doherty with the Albany Times Union, followed by Chris Hine with the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Uh, ben, my question is going to ask, so you can pass on me. Thanks. All right, thanks, Pete. Let's go to Chris Hine with the Minneapolis Star Tribune, uh, followed by Andrew Cohen with Sport Techie. Uh, this question is for Mark. Uh, just to clarify um, on the on the crowd noise, Mark, um, are, are you saying that whatever crowd noise is in the broadcast will be generated by the home ballpark and their sound system and scoreboard, and not kind of manufactured in from Bristol or by ESPN or your or your crew? Exactly. So the audio that you'll hear on the game, if we're doing like a game, the Nationals, Yankees game, the audio that you'll hear as far as the crowd noise will be, you will hear that in the stadium, and thus you would hear that at home just like you normally would. We're, we're not, we ESPN are not adding or sweetening anything uh, from Bristol. We're just taking everything in. From the stadium. Thank you. Yeah. 
Thank you. Let's go to Andrew Cohen with Sport Techie, followed by Jesse Yontob with USA Today. Andrew has disconnected. Thank you. Let's go to Keep Jesse going. with USA Today. Followed. Oh, Andrew, is that you? Okay, let's go to Jesse with USA Today, followed by Danny Santana with Front Office Sports. Already answered, but I appreciate it. Okay, let's thank you. Let's go to Danny Santana with Front Office Sports, followed by Megan Montemero with The Athletic. Danny has disconnected as well. Let's go to Megan Montemero with The Athletic. Hey, uh, this question is for Mark. Uh, you mentioned the KBO broadcast and, you know, kind of learning to adjust for the crowd noise and stuff. But I was curious, what else have you learned from doing those remote broadcasts? Um, and are there any logistic things that you took away from that that you are, guys, are maybe anticipating could be a potential challenge in, in pulling off uh, these remote broadcasts? I think, you know, what we learned is, is tech, you know, is, Technology is your best friend, and you know. And I've said this to Ben before. If somebody had said we were going to have a a play-by-play announcer in Connecticut, an analyst in Florida, um, and uh, a game, a guest from another country, um, and a game coming from you know, Korea, I, I would be, I'd be like, I have no idea what this is going to look or sound like. Um, but it, it has worked out really well. Um, so, you know, we've never done games from people's homes, uh, until, you know, until a few months ago. So I would say we've learned that, you know, the technology is out there and we've learned that, you know, that things are, things are changing, um, and will continue to change as far as when it comes to TV production. I think, I think everybody is is realizing that just because you did it one way for X number of years doesn't mean you have to do it the same way. Um, and for us, the goal is always to not, you know, to make sure there's no negative impact on the product that people are watching at home. That people, I, I don't think viewers at home, they're not interested in, you know, what's taking place behind the scenes. They're interested in, interested in, Who's winning the game? Why are they winning the game? You know, what game's coming up next, et cetera. So, you know, technology has been our best friend and, and keeping an open mind to everything across the board uh, has also been, you know, our best friend. I mean, if somebody told me that Matt and Alex would come see me, you know, every Sunday night for Sunday night baseball and I wouldn't have to go see them, I'd I would sign up for that. So that's what's uh, that's what's going on. And just a follow up for for Matt is is there anything that um, you've learned as, as you you know prep um, from talking to people that have been on those broadcasts regularly in terms of um, you know do's and don'ts or helpful tips or anything that that you're prepping for so to speak. Uh, yeah, I've, I've spoken with, um, Boog Shambi, um, 
about it, and uh, he has said try to rally for the biggest possible monitors that they'll give you. So that's a work in progress. I'm looking for jumbo screens and um, always be ready for last-minute changes because when you're not there physically at the ballpark, um, you know, the chain of command is completely different. And if there's a lineup substitution, uh, you you don't have the usual resources that you would ordinarily have at your disposal to, to sniff that out. We won't be able to run next door to the uh, home radio booth to ask a guy who is much more familiar with each roster than we would be as, as national presenters uh, what that lineup change is or, you know, to run to the official score or send somebody downstairs to the clubhouse. We don't have that. We are We are subject to whatever sound and images that are being shown to us in the studio. So to stay kind of, um, stay glib, I guess, stay agile would be the suggestion that I had. Thank you. Let's go to Bradford Davis with the New York Daily News, followed by Tim Basinger with the Wrap. Hey, I apologize. My my question was answered. Thanks for letting us know. Let's go to Tim Basinger with the Wrap, followed by Jacob Feldman with Sportico. Hey guys, uh, this question is for for all three of you. Um, you know, just kind of overall. I mean, you know, sports is often used as sort of a distraction from you know people's lives, um, but just kind of. You know, how do you view that this year, you know, especially in broadcast when, you know, it's going to be weird. People are going to see, you know, a lot of empty seats or cardboard cutouts of fans, and they're going to see a lot of people wearing face masks. Matty, I'll take this one first if you want. Um, yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, to answer your question, the abnormal has become the normal. And I think in many ways – you know, bringing baseball and being kind of the first sport to move is, is an incredible advantage. Uh, I think the 23rd presents an incredible opportunity to reintroduce the game of baseball, uh, and, it, and it will be a year of adjustments. Uh, I've, I've said to a few of my friends that uh, they should make up an award for the trainers, doctors, and medical staff, uh, the MVP, because whoever keeps their players uh, healthiest uh, can win the championship. Um, but it is a year of adjustment. And I think, um, you know, baseball becomes the comfort food that uh, Americans and people in this country want right now. And I think we provide uh, great entertainment and bring great value to people, um, you know, to the, to the sport of baseball. Yeah. I, I would also add that, um, you know, baseball viewership, as escapism uh, isn't such that we're going to try to take fans into never, never land and make believe that none of this existed. And uh, you know, the, the pictures that people see of empty ballparks and players wearing masks beg for explanations. So unfortunately we're not going to be able to transform them into their, uh, you know, happy place of viewership and make them forget all about what's happening in the world. Uh, I, I plan on embracing it because I, I, my, my, my optimism borders on uh, considering me a Pollyanna because I don't think we're going to have to deal with this uh, in multiple seasons. At least I hope not. 
So let's embrace the uniqueness of it and, and give an accurate presentation of the experience for the players uh, with the hopes that it, it never has to go this way again. Thank you. Tim, were you looking for Mark as well? The answer is yes. you, but otherwise, yeah. You, you, you heard from the stars of the show on this. <laughs> okay, thank you. Let's go to Jacob Feldman with Sportico, followed by Jessica Kleinschmidt with NBC Sports. Hi, guys. Uh, my, my question is, is for you, uh, Mark. Don't, don't play yourself short. Um, I'm curious if you're going to explain a little bit about ESPN's, um, what role they had in um, determining, fine-tuning, implementing the, the fan noise, if any, and then during the game, will you have communication with with, with those team and stadium operators as, as needed if yes. you want to tweak how it's coming out? Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, again, we'll, you know, work in progress, and I think everybody uh, realizes that. So, you know, we have a great relationship, obviously, with Major League Baseball and the teams. So we will be in contact with the teams, um, easy enough for us to do that from Bristol. And, you know, how, how is it How is it sounding? I think we'll know pretty quick, you know, after a couple innings of how this is all working. Um, you know, if, mm-hmm. it's too, if, it's, if it's not working or it's too hot or whatever, you know, then – Obviously, we can, you know, we can be communicating that, you know, to the stadium, but I, I don't think it's going to be a problem. I, I think, I think it's going to sound like a baseball game, you know. And I think when you're when you're clicking around watching a game, it's going to sound like a game, but enhanced in some cases, like Matt said earlier, um, by some of the, the things taking place that you may hear that, that you don't normally hear. So. Uh, so again, going in with the positive, optimistic group that um, that this this will be really good, and we will learn from this as we you know as we go through it. Cool. Thanks so much. Best of luck. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. Uh, we were listening to the ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. Season opening media conference call. Um, we have time for uh, a few more questions. Um, let's go to Jessica Kleinschmidt with NBC Sports, followed by Nick Klopsis with Newsday. Hi, guys. Thanks for the time. My question is actually for Alex. Uh, Alex, some of the players have um, opted out of the season, big names, Buster uh, Posey specifically. What were some of your thoughts when you heard some of these players are making this decision? Well, I 100% support them. Uh, I do as a fan of baseball, as a broadcaster for ESPN, and also they were my teammates. I think, you know, health and family is, uh, you know, most important here. And uh, I feel that we should all be supportive to those kind of decisions. Thanks. Thank you, Jessica. Let's go to Nick with Newsday. Uh, my question was already asked and answered. Thank you, Okay, thanks for letting us know. Uh, next up, Kyle Coster with the big lead, followed by Kristen Hernandez with Sports Video Group. Hey, I was just curious uh, for Alex 
and Matt what the experience was calling games remotely, and for Mark, uh, if you made these guys practice for it. I didn't, I didn't catch the oh, question. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Kyle, could you repeat? Uh, I was just curious, uh, Matt and Alex's past calling games remotely, and uh, if Mark, for Mark, if uh, he made them practice for this. I'll, I'll go in there uh, first on this one, uh, Matt. Um, yeah, I've, I've had some, some experience calling games remotely when I was uh, working in San Diego as a Padres play-by-play guy for their TV package. They did a exhibition series in um, Beijing, China, and they didn't send the broadcasters. We called that off tube from a studio. Uh, I've been a part of um, a number of Olympics uh, years with NBC Sports and did a lot of that work off tube remotely as well. Um, you know, as, as I think I said earlier, you have to embrace it. You just you have to understand that you don't have the usual channels that you're used to for getting your information. You are you're kind of on the monitor, and when when sports TV is is working at a high level, there's this kind of triangle of creative thought that's all working in simpatico producer director booth and i meaning you know play-by-play and and analysts uh and when somebody goes someplace the other part of the triangle supports it the other part of the triangle might lead the other two corners into a direction but everybody's kind of going in the same the same way uh you don't necessarily have that when you're working off tube um you know we're we're fortunate with Sunday Night Baseball that we will have our own group uh, kind of, you know, working uh, together. We're not limited from a pure world feed standpoint. So from that end, it should be easy for us. And um, my experiences have been positive in the past working this way. So, and I think, um, you know, even though Alex and I haven't rehearsed this way, uh, he's comfortable enough in the studio to where I think we can we can hit the ground running on Thursday night. Yeah, and, and for me, I think having Buster on location, possibility of having him there, will have some type of connection to the building, the weather, how people are feeling, kind of the temperature in, in the building. Um, that's one thing. I think w- one of the things that you always are, are cognizant of is there's this great, uh, you know, people always say, don't, you know, don't forget how hard the game is once you get to the booth. Um, I think that even becomes even more of a challenge for Matt and I. The further we remove ourselves from this great game, the easier it looks because the talent is so supreme on the field. Uh, I think it's important for us to, you know, <laughs> remember how, how difficult the game is, and, uh, you know, that, that's an important thing. And Mark, did you want to jump in on prep? Yeah, right. There, we we will not be. Uh, there are no scheduled rehearsals, uh, like Matt had said. But I think you know, Matt and Alex being in the studio, being in the studio, sitting next to each other. You know, we've got some big monitors for Matt, hundred-inch monitors. I'm just kidding. Um, that um, that they'll be fine. You know, that the, I mean, in, in some cases, again, going the optimistic route, there, there's going to be less distractions. 
Um, you know, you're in a studio with, with four walls, comfortable chairs, you know, perfectly air conditioned. Um, so I, I don't, we don't anticipate any problems with, uh, with these guys, you know, calling a game from Bristol, Connecticut. All right, thank you. Thank you. We'll go to Kristen Hernandez with Sports Video Group, and then uh, we will finish up with Guy McKinnon at NBC Sports Boston. Hi, this one is for Mark. Mark, this may also be a work in progress, but has there uh, been any discussions about family integration, whether virtual or via video conferencing? And, you know, another question, because this is such a unique time, do you have some, I guess, leeway in asking these RSNs and networks for camera shots, or do you just have to deal with what you're given? We are utilizing, to answer your second question, we are simply utilizing the the crew's uh, camera people in the case that you're talking about. We're utilizing the camera folks who are who work for the home team RSN. Right. Um, so I, 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 I don't know specifically you know who they are I'm mm-hmm. I'm going to sort of assume they're they're local hires. Um but it is not our standard Sunday night crew on the road. Um but like uh Matt just alluded to, you know, Jeff Dubine is Bristol based and he was he's the Sunday night baseball producer and he'll, he'll be producing Sunday night baseball just from Bristol. And I already forgot it was a virtual question on the first. I forgot what the first question was. Right. Uh, has there been any discussion about virtual fans or in- integrating fans via uh, Zoom or any yeah. type of video conferencing? Yeah, the, the only conversations we've had were just sort of watching what the teams do right now as far as, you know, the cardboard cutouts with the fans. Um, you know, right now we don't have, pl- you know, we don't have plans today. Anything can change. Um, you know, to have multiple fans, you know, from from one team, you know, watching the game with us. Uh, but again, anything is anything can change, and I would say anything can change. Certainly between now and next Thursday, and anything can change week to week. All right, thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you, and we'll finish up with Guy McKinnon at NBC Sports Boston. Guy. Guy, you there? Okay, we'll we'll finish up with we got one more. Alex Silverman with the morning consult. Alex, are you there? Alex is disconnected. Okay. Well, thank you. We're we're gonna call it there. We're we're at our uh, our max. So I just wanted to thank everyone for the terrific call, variety of topics. Thank you to Alex, Matt, and Mark for your time. Uh, there will be a transcript and audio replay available uh, this afternoon. You'll see some additional press materials coming from uh, ESPN PR soon about opening week coverage. Uh, obviously, it's still uh, sort of a fluid situation, but we're getting close. Um, so thank you again, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone.
Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's call, and we thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.